Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This is the fourth message in a series of messages that we've really felt led of the Lord to do, and it seems to have caught fire. If I look at all the communication I'm getting online and stuff like that, it's called Touch Points. So we're looking together individually for each of us individually, and, and as a church, we're looking for these touch points of faith. Faith, in order to function, has to have a, like a special point of contact. Whether I'm praying for healing, whether I'm praying for a new job, whether I'm praying for financial breakthrough, praying for a place to live, praying for deliverance, praying for a relationship, praying for whatever it is, I need a practical, measurable po- touch point of faith, and, and I need a means of sowing in to that touch point through obedience. And so I need a mode of, of obedience. Uh, this, 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 uh, since we started doing this message, somebody who's, uh, as far as I know, not a believer, but is in pain emotionally because of the need for a job turnaround. They have a good job, but things are going badly, and they're afraid they're gonna get laid off. And, and, and uh, so I just said, look, man, uh, my wife and I are going to pray for you every day. We're going to pray for a turnaround on this job. And uh, it seemed as if the, the, the possibility, that was, seemed impossible for that to happen. And so uh, God gave us a, a specific kind of way to sow into that. I'm not going to get into that part of it. We needed to exercise that obedience and pray. Friday morning I got a call, and the thing seems to have completely turned around almost miraculously. I mean, it's that kind of thing. This is the kind of stuff God wants us to do. He wants us to have an appetite for the impossible through this. Are you there? Another touch point of faith. My daughter called frantic about two weeks ago at our granddaughter. Our granddaughter went to a sleepover at her best friend's house, slept in the same bed with her best friend. I'm not even going to talk about the wisdom of that, okay? But that's not my business. They're not my kids. That's the neat thing about having grandkids. Anyway, so like... The next day, the kid that she slept with, the next day felt a fever, had a cough, went, got tested, had COVID. Okay, so my granddaughter is trying out for her first cheerleading episode. We won't even talk about the wisdom of that. But what I will say is we knew how much this meant to this little girl. And so we began to pray into that and sow into that. And as we did, she went out and got tested. She tested negative. She slept in the same bed. These are little things, but they're little impossibilities that God is speaking right now that we can tackle by faith. Are you there? Okay, so here's where we need to go this morning. Have you you ever felt, or if you at home, have you ever felt as if God has spoken to you to believe for something, and then as you begin to pray for it or, or you sow into it, it's almost as if he withstands your prayers? Huh? It's like he pushes back. And, and you, know, you know, at times like that, I find myself unnerved when that happens. And it happens. And, and I'm saying, what's going on here, God? This was your idea. This wasn't my idea. And now you're pushing back on me? You, and so I think most of us who are believers really have had that kind of experience. It's all over the Gospels, right? So I, we have four kids. The first three children that Trisha conceived, all I had to do was wink at her and she conceived, right? You know, we weren't thinking about necessarily having kids or not. We were just kind of letting God have his way. But 
For the fourth child, we specifically felt, well, Trisha especially, that God was defining a child, a blue caboose, a boy for her. He's spoken really clearly, and I won't get into all the, the ifs of it. For her to conceive that child took forever. And I'm, we're going through that, and I'm thinking, what is going on here? You spoke, God. What is this thing? Why do we need to persist like this? What is it that we need to learn? You know? So I call this, this message winning an argument with Jesus. How's that? Yeah? Winning? Have you not argued with Jesus? All right. So it's, I call it winning an argument with Jesus. We're going to see a demonstration of God's power and his spirit. There are times when we'll have to drill down in prayer. We're going to have to press into God. And I, I want to point this out. This is our season to build an appetite for the impossible. Uh, this, this is what God is speaking to the church, not just us, but the church at large. It's a time to build. It's not a time to lose ground, but a time to build an appetite for the impossible. Not because we need to have hope, but because the world out there needs to see faith in action. Are you there? This is it. This is where we're going. The government may be instructing the church to distance but God is not calling the church to hibernate. So I just simply feel to look at what I call like this breakout episode from the ministry of Jesus. It's a time when he crosses boundaries, he performs the miraculous in places where the miraculous is not supposed to be performed. He performs the miraculous where faith is not supposed to inhabit. He goes there and does that. So I want to look at this episode and open our hearts to what God's saying to us this morning. And, uh, you know, are there conditions that we can find in this episode uh, for, for the impossible to happen? Are there conditions for the kingdom of God to increase? So we're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, and I want to begin reading in verse 24. Now, I do need to give some context. This week I need to offer some context which I haven't had to do in the last couple of weeks, but this story needs it. Jesus was ministering in Galilee. This is the context for this episode. And the scribes and the Pharisees were after him. They actually, they left Jerusalem and went all the way up, which is very unusual, to Galilee. And they left Jerusalem, went to Galilee, and they came to challenge Jesus on the issue of his obedience to the Jewish law. And after a contentious time with them regarding the nature of the Jewish law and Jesus' ministry, Jesus seems to seek respite. He seems to want to remove himself from the religious hot buttons. So he goes away about 50 miles into a Gentile city called Tyre, which is on the Mediterranean. No Jewish people there except maybe a small community. And I want to watch the track of faith here in this Gentile community, not a Jewish community. And I want to begin reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We're going to begin reading in verse 24. And from there, that's Galilee, he arose and went away to a region of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus left Galilee where he was harassed, by the Pharisees and scribes on the basis of the law. And Tyre's, again, about 50 miles on foot, right? And the implication here is that Jesus is, wants to get away, all right? And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Wow. Verse 25 says, but immediately when he gets in the house, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet, a desperate mother. 
And this is, this, this is worshipful intercession. Matthew's gospel says that she kept crying out. Matthew records this episode as well. And, and in Matthew's gospel, it says, she cried out, she cried out, she cried out, and said, Lord, help me. Verse 26, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, Canaanite, enemies of Israel for, for centuries. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Verse 27, and he, Jesus, said to her, well, look at this, look at what he says. Talk about pushback. Let the children be fed first. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Do you find that insulting? Huh? Do you find that absolutely uh, not PC? Huh? You know? The children here, of course, Jesus is speaking of the children of Israel. And this could be received as a downright pushback, insult, rebuff, call it what you will, because Jesus is arguing with her about whether or not he should relieve her little daughter of the demon. But he also seems to be opening some kind of a little door by saying that the children should be fed first. She capitalizes on it. She capitalizes on it. Verse 28, and she answers him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs, and the word here in Greek for dogs is puppy dogs. Even the puppy dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Verse 29, so Jesus said to her, for this statement, that's really important, not just because of your persistence, not because of your intercession, not just because of your worship, all those things are good, but because of the statement that you just made, which we're going to unpack as a statement of faith, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. Wow, she said something that accomplished the deliverance, just like that. I'm fascinated with remote healings and remote deliverances, aren't you? Yeah. So the demons left your daughter, verse 30. And so she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Can you imagine the relief over the, that mother? Can you imagine what the mother went through to bring her to the desperation of going to a Jewish healer, a Jewish Messiah and a prophet? So Jesus delivers her little girl from a distance and by the way, in Matthew, it's really interesting, in Matthew's gospel, recording the same event, Matthew calls it a healing. The deliverance is a healing. I find that fascinating. So, yes, the woman's persistent faith, her intercessory worship ostensibly reverses Jesus' position so that he's only called to the children of Israel. But can we unpack the nature of this statement of her faith? Can we do that? Is there a key insight into the nature of her faith that helps us to have faith to move into a season for the demonstration of the power of God? The key insight has to do with being a puppy dog. Huh? Her puppy dog argument, right? She knows something that the scribes and the Pharisees did not get. And the first, so the first thing we see here is when God seems to push back, when God seems to be arguing with us about what we're praying for, which we feel was instilled in us by him in the first place, when God seems to offend us, it's an invitation to self-revelation because she has to make a decision about her identity. Are you there? She has to make a decision. It's a Holy Ghost whopper that she comes up with. 
In his response to her, Jesus seems to be saying, get away from me, woman. He seems to be questioning her religion. He seems to be, you're a dog, questioning her ethnicity, her race, her dignity, her culture, and maybe even her marital status. Like, where is this woman's husband in that culture? Yeah? Uh, you know, he seems to be saying, we Jews are chosen, but you goyim, you Gentiles, you're just dogs. All right? But never underestimate the power of, of the Holy Spirit in inter inter interceding mother. Man, have I learned that, Yeah? And, and she interprets Jesus' challenge as the question. This is what she hears by the Spirit. Who is God and who am I in God that I have the right to petition his Messiah? Who am I? Why do I deserve to see God do the impossible? If we're going to see the impossible things done with these little inklings that I've just thrown out this morning, and there's other things as well. If you look on the website, we've seen some really fascinating things God doing right now. If we're going to see that happen, God is evoking from us a question, who am I to do this? Who am I to pray this? And who am I in God? And who is the God that I worship and believe and adore? Huh? It's that kind of thing. So she responds to Jesus with an absolutely mind-blowing Holy Ghost answer. But before I unpack that answer, I want you to see what she gets. She gets something Jesus just came from a big fight with the scribes and the Pharisees. She gets something that they didn't get, and that's this. In Scripture, the power and purpose of the law, that was the fight that Jesus was in, is exclusive. I'm going to explain that, is exclusive. The Jewish law had lots of functions, but among other functions for the Jewish law, the laws served to delineate the people of God from everybody else in the world. You're following me there. The Jewish law delineated the children of Israel from everyone else in the world. The world was divided for the Jews between Jew and Gentile. And as a Jew, I eat this and I don't eat that and I don't do this and I do that. And the Gentiles don't follow any of those rules. The Jews maintained a fixed set of laws that reminded them, that defined their position in God. The kosher laws say, we are different, we are the people of God, you can eat the pork. Are you there? Right? That's not a bad thing. God, God instructed the Jewish nation to do that. So Jesus is saying, however, here, that ritual law won't do anymore under the new covenant. Ritual law won't do when you need a breakout of faith. The downside of ritual law is this. It's easier to be religious, to do religious stuff, than it is for you to change your heart. The same Jesus who declares all food clean is the Jesus who hears the heart of a mother with a demonized child. More, more than the pestering of some Gentile woman. Suddenly, she has dignity. What gives her that? Suddenly, she is on equal footing with anyone, maybe better footing with anyone among the scribes and the Pharisees. What, what does that? Amen. Did you hear that? Faith. This is what the Gentile woman got that the Pharisees never got. Watch this. Now, this could be controversial, this statement, but you've got to follow my thinking here because it's biblical. Paul is all over it, okay? Israel was not better than the rest of humanity. Do you realize that? 
They were just chosen. Huh? Rabbi Glenn at Beth Simcoe, who's a good friend of mine, says, we are not better. We're only different. Yeah? Israel was merely privileged, chosen by God, not because of anything they did. It was God's sovereign choice. And they were given a law by God that they could never completely obey as an example for us because we all need him so desperately. Just like the Gentile woman. During this virus, during all the hopla and the social unrest and all this stuff, what reality are we really confronting? Yeah? What reality are we confronting? I was at a wedding a number of years ago, and it was at a church that we had a hand in planting south of here. And some of the brothers and sisters took liberty and had, were drinking wine at the wedding. And it caused the church split because some drank wine and some didn't. Some saw it as a matter of faith and some didn't. And I won't get into all that. Don't go running to the liquor store. Uh, What I want you to do, when I was trying to sort out this mess, the people who didn't drink wine said of the people who did drink wine, well, if, if you allow them to do that, what makes us different? I'm thinking, holy cow. I wanted to say, you mean you not having wine defines who you are in God? Huh? See, that's called religion. That's called law. It's called legalism. See, legalism is not when I have a set of ethics and moral positions for my life. It's when I take that set of ethics and moral positions that I've kind of taken from the scriptures and I insist you do it the same way. Are you there? That doesn't please God. Faith pleases God. So along comes this Gentile woman who understands the power of faith, the position in God that expressing faith brings, which is why the author of Hebrews says it's impossible to please God except by faith. And so when she says, even the puppy dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, watch. She says this, she she knew that the puppy dogs were endearing members of the household as well. She includes herself. She's saying, by faith, I'm a member of the household too. You know, she's saying, by faith, I'm in with you, God. I'm in with you, Jesus. And the children enjoy feeding me. I, I'm endeared to them. And as such, by faith, I'm entitled, she says. She is in essence saying what Paul says years later. He says this, anyone of the household of faith is chosen of God. That's you guys. See, I love the Messianic movement where sister churches with Beit Simcha and some El Gabor, and, and I love our Jewish brethren who worship Jesus as their Messiah and so forth, but I'm very conscious that they ain't better than, than me. We're together because we're people of faith. By faith we're saved, not through works, but by the grace of God. All right, here's what she got that the Pharisees and the disciples didn't get, and it's a principle this morning. In the new covenant, the power and the purpose of faith is inclusive. Huh? The deliverance of the little girl, the healing of the Gentile mute in the Gospels, the deliverance of the Gerizian maniac, the crazy guy, the, deliver- the healing of the centurion servant, the salvation of the Samaritan woman, they're all Gentiles, right? All involve instances, and there's more, where the people who were expressing faith together weren't supposed to be together. Huh? They weren't supposed to be together. 
In that milieu, in that culture, you didn't cohabit with other races and ethnicities, and, but in faith, we're together, and the impossible can happen. Yeah? It, it wasn't done. And in, in these situations, where some of the great, this is where some of the greatest miracles occur. Jesus said, because of your great faith, the Samaritan woman. I'm, Jesus says about the Roman centurion, man, he says, I haven't seen this kind of faith in Israel. This was a Roman cop, right? Occupying army, a Roman centurion. This, this guy is not supposed to be, you know, better than dog meat. This guy, but here he is. And Jesus, the scripture says he was astonished at that man's faith. Wouldn't you like to astonish Jesus? Ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm ready to astonish Jesus. It, see, it wasn't done. So the Phoenician woman and the Gentile mute were from the wrong race, wrong culture, wrong language, wrong religion, wrong class. By the way, Galilean farmers resented the Syrophoenicians because they were the brokers who became wealthy on the sweat of the Jewish farmers. There's a class war going on here as well. Huh? And so... If we track the history, watch this. I might do this next week, I'm not sure. But if we track the history of revivals, most revivals over the course of history, going all the way back, I mean, most revivals, starting with the book of Acts, involve people coming together who were, weren't conventionally supposed to come together. Huh? You know, that's a subject for another moment, but I just find that fascinating. Whether you go to the Pentecostal revivals, whether you go to the latter reign, and we can talk about that maybe some other day. But a huge unrecognized impediment to the miraculous, to doing the impossible in the body of Christ has to do with culture, language, politics, class, and race, and hatred, and bigotry, and all those kinds of things. So this is what's representative to what's going on in our nation. Huh? Now, it's interesting, probably the ultimate beginning of the Great Awakening was the Moravian Revival, which founded this city and founded even Emmaus, which was Mukunji at the time. That revival was in August 13th, uh, I always get the 1727, if I'm not mistaken, 1727. And what earmarked that revival is all of these sectarian people came together under the leadership of Zinzendorf, who worked for months to get them to stop hating each other. We'll let him take communion. And then when he finally gave in and he felt like they were in a position spiritually where they could take communion and exercise faith, the Great Awakening began at the Heronhut Moravian Pentecost. We're going to celebrate that uh, on August 13th here. And what we're going to do is we're going to assemble out there. It's uh, 6.30 and we'll be masked, and we'll do social distancing, and we're just going to walk the Moravian settlement, and we're going to go over to uh, God's Acre. By the way, in, in God's Acre, you realize there was a pandemic, a smallpox pandemic, and there's tons of children and Native Americans buried over there. But we're going to go over there and have communion and mingle our prayers with hundreds of years of prayer that came from the Moravians, because they did that. They did that. So exercising faith sometimes feels like God has set out to lose an argument. Did you absorb that? <laughs> Exercising faith sometimes feels like God has set out to lose an argument. Jesus looks like he's arguing with her, but he wants to lose the argument to save 
and to see the little girl delivered and to see the Syrophoenician woman come to faith. Huh? Sometimes God offends us before he upends us. It used to perplex me that in both these instances as well as a pile of other places in the gospel, it, Jesus is arguing with people, yeah? And, and oh, the Samaritan woman, yeah? Woman, where is your husband? <laughs> Talk about a word of knowledge. Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick and he waits three days on purpose to the chagrin of Mary and Martha. Yeah, And we could go on and on with this thing. So I remember my daughter, Kristen, when she was little, it was crazy. She was two, something like that, violent asthma attacks. And I would have to take her to the hospital. You know, and I was working. Trish had just given birth to Jana. Jana was born with a deformed hip. She was in a cast. She was breastfeeding. She couldn't take Kristen to the hospital. So I was like going to the hospital. I would go from work to the hospital, relieve Trish. Trish would go home to be with the kids. And then I would stay overnight in the hospital, do a little bit of a right guard bath, and then go back to work the next morning. And this episode after episode, I kept praying for healing, anointing her, believing for healing, believing for faith. And uh, this was the time when I had to make a decision as to whether to go into the ministry or not, right? See, there was obedience that was being required of me. I needed to sow into her healing with a specific word, uh, word of knowledge of obedience. And I was, pushing, I, I was pushing back on God. God was arguing with me and I was pushing back on God. And so the church needed a full-time guy. And I, when I was, the one thing I didn't want to do when I became a Christian was ever be a pastor, okay? But seriously, and it was wise. I was just oblivious to wanting to do this. And yet the Lord was speaking to do it. And I won't get into all the specifics as to why and all the rest of it. It had to do with pride, really. And so I remember going up and lying next to her in her bed one night saying, what gives here, God? You know, this little girl is under the new covenant is entitled to healing. I'm praying for healing. She's not being healed. And she's probably too little to be disturbing you. So something must be disturbing you. And you know what happened? I went to Emmanuel Church over in Allentown on a Tuesday night. I felt like the Lord spoke to me to go there. There was an old, I can't remember his name now, there was an old latter rain prophet there. And he was just an old crusty guy with hands the size of a bear. And he walks up to me and he puts his hand on me. And he says, thou art an empty basket, saith the Lord. You know. <laughs> and then he goes on to literally tell me that, that there was a key disobedience in my life. So I came home that night, laid down next to her and said, okay, I'll do it. That's all I said was, okay, I'll do it. And I went to see the elders the next week and said, I'll come on board full time. Okay, from that moment on, she's now 42 years old. From that moment on, she never had an attack of asthma in her life. Amen? You know, see? I mean, he was arguing with me. Are you there? <laughs> Here's some homework uh, for this week, okay? In pursuing your touch point of faith, because everybody here has one, okay? At least I hope you do. I hope you're praying into this and finding out what God is speaking to you. If you feel an impediment or you feel as if God's pushing back, begin to pray for his perspective of who you need to be to see that accomplished. In other words, that woman was saying, I'm in. That's faith. That's faith. I'm in. 
I'm in this new covenant. I'm in this thing. And who do you believe God is? By faith, what's your position in God? Is there a measure of self-revelation that God wants to bring to you? Do you see what you're believing as a privilege? Do you under the new covenant? It is. Uh, Is the obedience he's requiring maybe a bit uh, putting off for you, a touchy touch point? Yeah, remember we had that message? Because God is gonna do the impossible in my life and in your life by faith. By faith, right? Now, just because I'll get emails, if what you're praying for doesn't happen, it doesn't necessarily mean it's your fault. Are you there? That's a, that's a further conclusion that you need not go to. Yeah. But it does mean there is this interaction between you and the Lord, uh, developing relationship that I believe God wants to do right now. The only other question that I have um, is, are you paying more attention to the storm or are you paying more attention to the voice of the God that comes through the storm? Because huh? God is speaking right now. Okay, we're going to close and worship the Lord, which I'm really looking forward to. Before we do, see if I have this here. I want to make this announcement for Pastor Ian because it goes to the heart of what we're talking about. Next Saturday at 6 o'clock on MLK Boulevard. I, you know, I don't know where. You have to go to uh, Pray on MLK, Lehigh Valley. There's a website to tell you where to assemble. But on MLK Boulevard, all the, the streets named for MLK, Martin Luther King. Did you know, uh, just, just a second. Uh, did you know, this is really fascinating. So Martin Luther King uh, was named after Martin Luther. But he took the name Martin Luther upon himself because Martin Luther was, was one of his, his heroes, okay? Uh, I forget what his original, his baptized name was. Anyway, Martin Luther King. But the interesting thing, and I don't know if it was conscious or not because he didn't take a new last name, but the word for king or the, the consonants, the spelling of king in Hebrew is MLK. Isn't that cool? Or you could change the, the vowels from Malak, ML, Malak, MLK, to Melek, MLK, and it becomes angel, you know? And I, I wonder if that was, uh, there was a conscious thing going on there. But anyway, he was assassinated on, eight, on, on August the 8th, Baptist believer, minister, um, and there's going to be a, a, a prayer and worship time on MLK Boulevard. This, this is throughout the, 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 the nation, and it's one hour of silent prayer. What a contrast to what's going on. So if you want to do it, you've got to go to MLK Lehigh Valley and they'll tell you how to do it. Uh, Pastor Ian, I think, is the organizer for Lehigh Valley. And so one hour of silent prayer and then there's going to be an hour of worship by a number of worship bands from, uh, from churches in the Lehigh Valley. So if you're interested in that, that's called spiritual warfare. Yeah, yeah. That's confronting the reality of what's going on as opposed to the symptoms of the storm, yeah? Yeah, so that is really cool. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, I pray for anybody who's online this morning, who's watching, who needs to come to initial faith in you. Lord, I I sense that there are people out there who are watching. There might be somebody in here who uh, 
who's never really expressed their faith in you, in your death, in your resurrection, and in, it, in an eternity that you've designed for them. So if you're out there, if you're here, and you've never really said, yeah, I want to seal this thing. I want to make Jesus my God and my Lord and my Savior and my King. You can begin to pray with me right now. Uh, just If you repeat after me, if you're at home, you can just repeat after me. Just, it's important that you do it out loud, even if it's under your breath. And these words could change your life. You just pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I want to turn from anything that offends you. I thank you that you died on the cross for me personally so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness, the gift of your spirit, and I receive that gift. Please come into my life right now by the power of your spirit, and I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.